As a parent, you're tired. You're always on. You're doing things for everyone else. At times, your patience is wearing thin. But have you ever wondered if it's something more than that? Postpartum depression can take many forms and isn't always what you think it looks like. In this episode, hear from Liz, aka Mrs. Frugalwoods, on her surprising revelation about postpartum depression and learn how medication and getting help changed her life and her relationship with her family. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing a good friend of mine, Mrs. Frugalwoods, aka Liz. We've been on the Martinis and Your Money podcast together for close to five years, And it was on that podcast that Liz bravely divulged to us that she had experienced postpartum depression. So I'm super excited to be chatting with her today about this very important topic. Thank you for being on the show, Liz. Oh, thank you for having me, Melanie. I'm very excited to chat with you. And before we dive deep into this really important topic, I want to give our uh, listeners the short version of your very amazing story. Sure. So... Right now, I live in rural Vermont on a 66-acre homestead with my husband and our two young daughters. We have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and we started out living in cities. We were in New York City, Washington, D.C., Boston, and my husband and I both worked very conventional career track jobs and had this idea that that would be our lives. And we realized when we were about 29 that we were very unhappy. We were unhappy with the grind of the city. We were unhappy with how long we were working every day. And I was terrified at the idea that I would spend most of my adult life indoors under fluorescent lights in a cubicle. And (laughs) I mean, I was, you know, I really had sort of this terrifying feeling that if I didn't change something, that would be my life and I would regret it. And so we decided to work towards financial independence. So we started saving as much money as we could. We diversified our income streams. We advanced in our careers in order to make more money, to save more money. And in 2016, I think it was 2016, maybe it was 2015, we made the move to Vermont and have been here ever since and really love the slower pace of life and appreciate and are so grateful for all the freedom and the options that financial independence gives to us. Yeah. So you are part of the FIRE movement. So for people that don't know, that's financial independence, retire early. So you are technically retired. And how old are you, may I ask? 
Well, I am 36. You are welcome to ask. And I, but I'm, I'm really not retired. So because I work, um, I write for Frugal Woods. My husband also works from home. So we are financially independent. We're the FI part, but we are not retired early because we do choose. We're still working. (laughs) We choose to still work. And so it's, you know, something that we discovered on this journey is that we both really enjoy our work and we get a lot of fulfillment and a lot of meaning from the work that we do. And so we're able to be flexible and to divide our time between caring for our kids, working outside on our property, planting vegetables, harvesting wood, making maple syrup, things like that, and then doing what we call our computer jobs. So I I find that that balance is really what I want. So while I didn't want to be in an office all day, every day, I do like to have that space to be alone and to write. So you're retired from, you know, the office kind of component from it, but now you have the ability to focus on your own projects and do what you want. I think whether it's FI or fire completely, like that's really the goal is to be able to live life on your own terms. And you're doing that. Absolutely. And you wrote a book as well. I did. Yes. I, so that is definitely not a retired thing to do because it takes a lot of work. (laughs) Yes, it does. As Melanie knows, as anyone who's written a book knows. So yes, I had a book that came out right around the time that my second daughter was born. And that book is Meet the Frugal Woods. And it's really just the story of how we achieved financial independence. And more importantly, the realization that we came to about how unhappy consumerism made us and how much freer we could be without consuming, with embracing a more minimalist lifestyle. Oh, I love that. Super excited to have you on here. And I think your story is such an inspiration for so many people, you know, being able to kind of move away from office jobs and do the work that you really enjoy, living an idyllic life on your homestead with your kids. It seems like such a dream for so many people. But as you've mentioned, you've experienced postpartum depression, which I know can be harrowing and can offer a completely different picture than the one that you may be showing in a public facing way. You know, people might think you have this certain life, but postpartum depression can just be a completely different experience. Can you share what that was like for you? Sure. And like you mentioned, I found it very liberating to share my experience both on the Martinis and Your Money podcast and then also in a post that I wrote on Frugal Woods about the experience. And I had a lot of people who said, you know, I've now realized that I have postpartum depression or that I think I had it or that I'm concerned I might get it thanks to sort of the transparency that I offered. So I was, you know, I I didn't know what to expect from sharing that. And I'm, I'm really grateful that that resonated with so many people. So when my second daughter was born, that was in February, 2018, I was under so much stress at the time because I had a two-year-old as well. And then I had my book publishing just a couple weeks after her birth. And I, I was so stressed about every aspect of the birth. I was very concerned that we wouldn't be able to get to the hospital because we live almost an hour away from the hospital and it's winter time. And so you can get snowed in very easily and, you know, not be able to get your car out. So my OB said that we could schedule an induction. And so that took a lot of the pressure off. So we scheduled an induction. I went in, the birth itself was 
very easy. I mean, it was a birth, so it was difficult. (laughs) You know, I don't want to say easy, but it, you know, I felt very relieved after the baby was born. Um, My first daughter was born via emergency C-section. And so with the second, I was having a VBAC and I was terrified that I would have to have another C-section or that something awful would happen to the baby. I just had all of these, you know, there's like sort of horrible premonitions that I now see are really hallmarks of prenatal and postpartum depression, because it's very possible to have depression before the baby is born, but after you become pregnant. And so that I think is another thing to shed light on for people that there is a certain amount of stress and anxiety that goes along with having a child, but you know, to the point where I'm panicking and in tears all the time, you know, I wish that I had recognized those symptoms as depression and as anxiety much sooner. So the baby is born. It's like total straightforward VBAC really quite simple. She's healthy. She's large. She's an eight pound child. So everything's fine. She's breastfeeding great. I recovered very quickly. We went home and my mother-in-law was staying with us to take care of our two-year-old. My husband was on parental leave. I had all the support in the world. I had my mother-in-law. I had my husband. I had me. So we had three adults and two kids. And then my father-in-law came to help as well. So then we had four adults and two kids, which is a really good ratio, like (laughs) ratio ideally that you would have. And I was doing a lot of publicity for my book at that time. So I was interviewed on NPR. I was on the PBS NewsHour. And these are are like dreams come true for me, but I was so anxious. It just was this cloud of anxiety and fear. So tough. And it was about this time I started having nightmares that people would come to the house and steal our children, which is, that's another, and that's another hallmark of postpartum depression. You know, these are sort of like, now that I recognize it, a lot of them are very classic sort of textbook symptoms of PPD. And so this drags on, like months go by. And I just assumed that once the baby was sleeping more, once I was sleeping more during the night, I would be fine, right? I just needed to get past the, the first couple months with a newborn are just hellacious because like, you're not sleeping, they're not sleeping. It's awful. We're going to get past that. We'll get into a sleeping schedule. Things will resolve. And it became the summertime. So it's like June, July, and I am feeling, if anything, worse and worse and worse. And I am frustrated, anxious. I don't have patience and I don't have any resiliency, which is Mm -hmm. really difficult when you're parenting two little kids because you need to be patient and resilient. That's like pretty much all you need to do. And I just felt like I didn't want to be with them at all. I just could not envision a situation where I could get my family on like stable ground because I was so tired so hungry and so scared, really scared all the time. And so that's kind of the sort of the outset of my symptoms. Yeah. The anxiety that you describe just sounds so overwhelming and like something that can take over your whole entire life. And as you mentioned, I think there's a natural kind of anxiety of being a parent and having to take care of someone else's life. But then you know, at some point that turns into something more serious, like postpartum depression. Like at what point did you realize that I need to get help for this? And and what did that look like for you? And how has your life changed since getting help? 
Sure. So the scary thing to me is that I did not recognize how bad I was and that I needed help. Thankfully, my husband did. So we've been married for 12 years, I think, and we've known each other for a very long time. And so it's really helpful if you have someone who you've known for a long time who can check in with you because they can provide that outside check on your mood and on your behavior. Because I just thought, you know, I'm going to be fine. I will get through this. I'm just having a difficult time. And my husband saw that this was much, much more than that. I had started getting really angry at him all the time, which is fortunately not really how we operate normally. And I was yelling at him and just deeply frustrated with the kids and with him and with everything. And I started questioning every decision I had ever made. Ugh. You know, I, I had no self-confidence, which mm. again, as a parent, like you really need to be confident. Yeah. I questioned why we had moved here to Vermont. I questioned why we had had children. I questioned why I had written a book. I mean, it just, there was nothing in my life that I thought was good or that I thought I had done correctly. And so I was second guessing my parenting all day long, which is exhausting. You need to, as a parent, you need to just like decide what you're doing, do it and feel good about it. But I would question like, oh, I only read them two books before bed. Maybe I needed to read them four you know, just a level of anxiety that is unsustainable and really unhealthy. And it was really bleeding over onto the kids, especially onto my older daughter who was getting anxious herself because mom was, I was anxious all the time. And, you know, these like horrible dreams continued. And so my husband said, you have to go talk to a therapist. And I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. He said, this is not a choice anymore. I'm not asking you to. Yeah. He said, I'm telling you. You need to actually. (laughs) Right. And that was, I think it's like, if you can have somebody like that in your life, I mean, that's a lifesaver. And that is truly the only reason why I went. As he said, you have to go. I will make the appointment for you if you want. I will find the therapist for you, but you're going. So I said, all right, all right, all right. So I went and in either the first or the second visit, the therapist said, you know, you really have pretty classic postpartum depression. And I thought, no, I just have some anxiety. You know, I don't, I don't have, what are you talking about, lady? I don't have depression. I just have like some mild anxiety. I'm just tired. We're just good. I'm tired. I'm hungry. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, and I was, because I at the time was really trying to do all of the self-care things that we're told to do. I was drinking a lot of water. I was eating very healthy foods. I was doing yoga. I was exercising. I was spending time with my girlfriends. I was going on dates with my husband. I had childcare some of the time, you know, it's like I was doing everything that I could think of to do, to try and beat this and combat this myself. And so that was so illuminating to me. It's like, no, no, I'm trying everything. I'm not feeling any better. I mean, certainly those things aren't hurting. And my therapist said, I really think you need to start a medication, an SSRI. And I I said, wait, 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 wait. No, medication is for people who are like really depressed, like really anxious. This is not for me. And so I resisted medication for probably about two months while I was doing weekly therapy and the therapist continuously saying, I just really encourage you to try medication. And I really was not feeling any better with the therapy. I had anticipated that I would have done therapy in the past. It's great. I'm a huge proponent of it. I was not feeling any better. And so my husband said, could you please get this prescription? 
and take it. And I said, okay, I need you to research it for me. I need to know if it's safe with breastfeeding. I need to know what the side effects are. I need to know the long-term impacts. So he did research for me, which was a really remarkable gift. And I went and spoke with my primary care doctor who also said, oh, you have classic postpartum depression and anxiety. And she prescribed Zoloft, which is something that is safe while you're pregnant and while you're breastfeeding. And that was very important to me. I wanted to continue breastfeeding. So I think it's important to know that there are medications you can take while you're pregnant, while you're trying to get pregnant, or while you're breastfeeding. There's a a lot of misconceptions that you cannot take an SSRI, but there are some that are safe to take. And so if you feel like that would be beneficial to you, talk to your OB or talk to your primary care doctor. My primary care doctor was the one who was able to prescribe it. This is my first sort of navigation of mental health and of SSRIs. And so I was confused on who could prescribe. So some therapists, if they are, you can help me with this, Melanie, if they're psychiatrists, if they're psychologists. Yeah, psychiatrists usually are the ones that prescribe medicine. And, you know, counselors usually just kind of do the talk therapy. And I think they have to be like a a psychiatric designation, or I've also received some medication from my general primary care physician as well. I think to a certain extent, but like if it's more like serious long-term, a psychiatrist can help you with that. Yes. So I was figuring this all out and I was really relieved that my primary care doctor, who I already know, that she was able to listen to me and prescribe this. And what I said to her and to my therapist was, thank you for believing me. Yeah. And they said, well, of course, like, of course we believe you. You're telling, you know, and because to me, it was such a big deal. It was so emotional to, to receive this prescription. And for both of them, they said, well, this just, this really is not that big of a deal. It's a low dosage. It's It's not not a big deal. They're like, do you know how many people take SSRIs? I was like, I don't know. A lot of people. Yeah. So many people. And so once I started taking it, it was very, very soon after that I started to feel normal. And there's just, there is no other way for me to put it other than just, I felt normal. You don't feel high. You don't feel drunk. You don't feel elated. You just feel normal. I could not believe how much better I felt. And I continued doing therapy and I am still taking the Zoloft to this day. So we adjusted the dosage a little bit over time and have landed on a spot that seems to work extremely well. So have that open communication with your provider. I was able to start one medication and stick with it. I know that some people need to try different medications. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be like me. Don't let your like irrational <laughs> fear of medication hold you back from truly healing because I wanted to get there on my own and through talk therapy so badly and through praying. I mean, speaking to my pastor, my pastor was like, I think you have classic postpartum depression. Do you benefit from (laughs) taking this? I was like, when everybody's telling you this, you should probably listen. And over time, so it's been a year and a half, I guess, since being diagnosed and continuing to take medication. What I have realized is that this has made my life better in every way. And what I didn't understand before this is that I think I've had levels of anxiety and depression since I was a teenager. I look back at middle school and high school and college and realize, wow, I was extremely anxious and depressed throughout most of that time period, but I had excellent coping mechanisms. I was an overachiever, straight A student, you know, just like ridiculously stressed out all the time. But I thought that that was how everybody felt. 
And the same thing with after I had my first baby, I definitely had postpartum depression after my first daughter, but it was not as raw because I didn't have a second child. I wasn't writing a book. I w- you know, there were sort of like fewer external pressures and I was able to just muscle through it. And so I don't think that I have felt normal really at any point in my adult life until starting to take the SSRI. And so that's like revelatory and has completely changed my life. It has made my relationship with my husband better. I am a better parent. I'm better at my job. I can actually relax and enjoy myself sometimes and like yes. sit down and read a book or, you know, not feel the need to sort of be productive all the time. And one of the reasons I know this is that I've known my husband since I was 18 and I'm now 36. And so he has seen me through most of this and he's like, you are such a nicer person. (laughs) And so I've thanked him. I've thanked him so many times for staying with me when I was not so nice. And I've thanked him for really helping me through this because unfortunately, I know a number of people for whom postpartum depression resulted in divorce because you are not yourself. I was not myself. I was like horrible, horrible, mean person. Mm -hmm. And that's not really who I am or who I want to be. So it has truly changed my life for the better. So, and it's like, in a lot of ways, I am very grateful that I had this somewhat severe postpartum depression because it really helped me uncover a lot of this longstanding anxiety and depression. Yeah. You were able to deal with all of these issues that you didn't even realize were issues. And I love that you talk about kind of the life-changing aspect of medication. And I really appreciate you talking about that you did all of the traditional things. Like you were eating well, you were exercising, you were doing self-care. Like a lot of people just think you can exercise and meditate your way out of this. And while, as you said, those things don't hurt, when you try all of those things and you're still feeling awful, it can feel like you're a failure or like, I still can't figure this out. Like why? And you just feel even more depressed. And that was the case for me when I had another severe bout of depression a couple of years ago. And I just kept trying everything and like it helped a little, but not really. And I was coping by drinking a lot. I was having like a bottle of wine a day. I'm not proud to admit that, but I was. And then I finally was like, this is not me. Like I like wine, but like, this is too much even for me. And I went to the psychiatrist at the recommendation of my therapist who was like, yeah, I think you need something to help you. And then I got on Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant. I was on Gabapentin, which is for seizures and nerve things, but it's also like another thing for anti-anxiety as well. And, you know, it does take about a month for your medication to fully work. And at that point I was in a very precarious mental state. And I was just like, you know, you're just like, please, I just want this to work now. And so luckily, you know, I stayed the course, but like when you're feeling that bad and it could take a month for something to work fully, it's so frightening. And so all of that to say, if you're in a terrible place and you think you might need medication, go sooner than you think, because it will take about a full month for you to fill all of the effects of the medication And that can be life-changing. For me, it was life-changing. I was finally able to get out of this dark place where my mind just kept going every day where I just felt like everything was doom and gloom. I woke up with this impending sense of dread every single day. 
I was having very dark thoughts that I don't want to share. And it's frightening when your mind can go to those places. And I know a lot of people, including myself, you know, I used to be worried about like, oh, is medication going to take my creative edge? Is it going to dull me? Like, Mm -hmm. am I going to be boring? Am I going to be stoic? What am I going to be? And I'm not any of those things. And what I like to tell people, how I describe it in my experience is that let's say your emotions are from zero to a hundred. Like let's say zero, you're totally just in bed, feeling nothing, completely numb. And a hundred is like, you're completely hysterical, crying, cannot stop, right? I like to say that my medication keeps me within like the 30 to 70 range. Keeps me in like a nice healthy range where I have feelings. I, you know, still experience them, but I'm no longer, you know, catatonic in bed, completely numb, not feeling anything, nor am I completely hysterical, unable to stop crying like a hot mess. And so being able to stick to that 30 to 70 range just is like, oh, this is like the safe range of my emotions. And I still feel them, which is great. You know, a lot of people think like, oh, am I not going to feel anything? No, you totally feel something but it just helps you manage them. And I think that's so important for people to realize is that medication isn't a cure. It's a way to manage things. It's a way to make things better. And for someone like me, I have clinical depression and anxiety and have for a long time. And I have had several bouts of it in my life. And it's like, just like you would take medication if you had diabetes or high blood pressure, like this is a medication that you take that can help manage your lifestyle so that you can continue living. Because when you're dealing with such harrowing mental health issues like depression and anxiety and postpartum, it literally affects every single aspect of your life. And when you don't maybe even want to go on living or at least not the way that you are currently, everything is in question and it's really hard to go on. So definitely I recommend for anyone feeling like they're really struggling medication can help. And like you said, you might have to try a few different medications. Wellbutrin was really good for me because there was no weight gain or sexual side effects. I know that sounds like really vain and whatever, but I talked to my psychiatrist and I was like, I've been on antidepressants before. I don't want any depressants that will make me gain weight nor have sexual side effects because that will just make my mental health even worse. And so they recommended Wellbutrin, which has worked well for me. And so, you know, you can talk to your doctor about like, I'm concerned about these side effects, or I'm concerned about this, and they can offer a suggestion that might work better for you. And you might just have to try different medications, different dosages, but it's not a reason to give up if it doesn't work right away. Absolutely. So talking about your postpartum diagnosis, you realize that this is what you had after like three (laughs) professionals told you and after your husband was like, you need to go to therapy. You finally came clean on the Martinez and Your Money podcast and you came public about this, which I'm so proud of you. I know it's, it's so brave to talk about your mental health in a public forum. And if anyone doesn't know, Ms. Frilkowitz is super popular and has a huge following. So I understand that this is like, not just you talking in the woods by yourself, like you are on a very public platform. (laughs) You have a huge following and on Martinis and Your Money, you talked about your postpartum depression and you talked about it on your blog. Was there any fear of the stigma associated with postpartum Like, did you have any fear about what are people going to think about me? Or I'm scared of how people are going to view me after this. Because a lot of times moms in particular are supposed to have it all together. And I feel like 
admitting that you have postpartum depression can put you in a vulnerable position. So I'm just curious, like, what was your experience and how can you help others combat that stigma if that's what they're afraid of? I was terrified to share this. (laughs) Absolutely. Which now almost seems laughable to me because I've just been living with it for so long. I'll tell anybody. I'm like, oh yeah, postpartum depression. Like I I just have no qualms because I'm very comfortable with it. And I also have only gotten good feedback from people. You know, people are grateful to hear about this for the most part, because I think it helps people understand how common it is, Mm -hmm. how treatable it is, that anyone can have it, truly anyone, and that it's something that we should talk about. So Melanie and I already write about money, which is pretty taboo. So writing about mental health is just like one one more (laughs) taboo to tackle that I'm pretty comfortable with doing. But it seeing how much better my life is now really makes me want to share because I don't want anyone else to suffer the way that I did. And I hope that people can recognize the symptoms, understand that not everybody feels that way, that you don't have to feel that way. Parenting is not, does not have to be that bad. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty bad, but you know, yeah. you, <laughs> real talk is pretty bad. I mean, like it's not <laughs> it's challenging, but it doesn't yeah. have to be horrific. Yeah. And so if people can realize that and go to a doctor, go to a therapist, that makes me really happy. That makes me feel good if this story can help someone else recognize the symptoms in themselves or in a friend or a loved one. Yeah. I think that's such a public service, you know, when you're able to share your own story and put yourself on the line and then people can say, oh, wow, I think I might be experiencing that too. Or, you know, as your husband kind of realized like, oh, maybe my wife is feeling this. And to be able to get that help, because a lot of the time it might just feel like we have to figure out everything on our own. And especially if you're a mom, like, oh, you're supposed to have all the answers and know everything. And that's absolutely not true and not the case. And I think everyone is figuring it out as they go. And you know, like you said, parenthood is challenging, but there's also moments of joy. And so combating postpartum depression can help bring back parts of that joy that might've been hidden because you're just dealing with all of the mental health issues in your mind. So I'm curious, did postpartum depression affect your finances in any way? Well, let's see. I think that if I look back, I would imagine I was spending more Money, I think when you're depressed, anxious, stressed, these are all triggers for spending more in the hopes that, you know, make life easier, make life more convenient, make life more enjoyable. And so I think there was certainly an increase in our spending. I also spent money on therapy and then money on medication. But fortunately, I have a a copay through my health insurance for the medication. So it's, it's pretty nominal. So from that perspective, there are some obvious expenses, therapy, medication, but then I think there are also those tertiary expenses of wanting to buy more things or more food to try and help yourself feel better. Totally. I love that you mentioned that as like spending triggers because yeah, if you're depressed and anxious, it can often feel like nothing matters anymore, especially your money and You're just like, I'm just going to buy takeout every day, or I'm going to go on shopping spree because who cares? And 
it can really affect your finances in that way. And I think it's important to be aware and like no judgment. I've been there. You've been there. So many people have been there. And it, it is really hard to feel like anything matters when you are in such a dark place. And so that's why, you know, it is so important to redirect that money to supporting your mental health if you can to get affordable therapy, to get medication so that you can get the rest of your life together. Because as we've talked about, money and mental health have such an important relationship. You know, they affect each other. Your mental health affects the way you spend and save. And your finances, you know, whether you're in debt or you have a low income or you're unemployed, affects your mental health. Absolutely. And so it's really important to kind of recognize your behaviors and and your feelings around the two. So I'm curious for any mothers listening, what are some signs of postpartum depression that they might be experiencing that aren't as well known? So the first thing I like to mention is that any parent or caregiver can get postpartum depression and it can happen really at any time. And so, like I said, it can be a prenatal depression. Fathers can have it. Same-sex Partners who are not giving birth to the child can have it. Adoptive parents, grandparents who are serving in a primary caregiving role. You know, there have been documented cases in all of these populations. So it's not just women who give birth. Interesting. Yeah. Be aware of that and be aware that it might not be the mother. It might be the father or the other mother or anyone else. And the other thing is, again, that the onset can happen, I think, at any point. I'm not really sure what the clinical definition is, but I know that it can onset after the baby is born, a year after the baby is born, two years after the baby is born. There's a fairly like wide range of kind of when these symptoms can happen. So be alert to that. And so the symptoms, for me, I found a lot of them very hard to parse from just the exhaustion of parenting. So being tired, frustrated, having a lack of patience, being hungry. So I'm already tired because I'm up with the baby. I'm hungry because I'm breastfeeding. But but it really was like a next level of those things. And then it was fears about the children, which seem rational. All parents are worried about their kids. That's our job. But I mean, I was like paranoid. And so having those nightmares that people were stealing the children, having nightmares that, you know, the the baby stopped breathing, just being so concerned about the kids all the time. And so having that kind of, you mentioned, Melanie, that impending sense of doom, I constantly had that. I constantly had it about the kids, which makes it like very hard to enjoy time with them. I really could not enjoy them. I could not enjoy anything. I felt anger as well, which I have read subsequently that anger is another symptom of depression. And so I was able to look back at points in my life where I was irrationally angry at people or at myself or at a situation and recognize that that was a manifestation of depression. And so I think that was really eye-opening for me because I was like, oh my gosh, that so explains like this white hot rage that I've had at various points. And it's so funny because I never get that angry anymore. And like you said, it's not that I don't feel emotions, but as you noted, I'm in that like 30 to 70 middle ground, I get a little bit angry or frustrated, but it's just not a level of rage. Like nothing can cause me to get that upset within the course of my daily life, you know? Yeah. And I love that you mentioned anger because I think 
anger can be kind of an outward manifestation of depression. You know, depression, we often think of as this very like insular, sad, lazy, mopey kind of Eeyore-like emotion. But on the other hand, kind of the manifestation of depression outwardly can come as anger because you're resentful and you feel like things aren't going in your favor and nothing's right. And that can definitely be produced as anger. And I'm so glad you're not feeling that anymore because I know it's so difficult. I know I've dealt with anger in my life as well. And it's, we're not trained to deal with anger in our body. And so that's why boxing has been so helpful for me because it's been a way for me to deal with anger in a healthy manner and being able to recognize those emotions and to find help in certain ways because it's so important. And I think for me too, because I also had the anxiety along with the depression is that I was constantly busy, constantly doing something, cleaning something, fixing something. I mean, there's like a lot to do as parents. So you you pretty much are constantly, but it was like a compulsive busyness that I just constantly needed to be doing something, doing something productive, like, you know, folding laundry, cleaning, that there has to be something being done or cooking something. And so like you said, it there may be this impression that it's like this moping around like Eeyore, but I was like a frenetic, crazy woman. And so I think recognizing that it's going to come about differently in people and it's going to come about differently depending on your circumstances and what you need to be doing on a daily basis. Totally. And I love that you mentioned that because actually from my research and from what I've experienced, mental health issues can also manifest itself in perfectionism and workaholism. And, you know, it's this like thing, like I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. I have to keep doing things. I have to keep doing things, you know, besides my <laughs> drinking wine. Like I was also just working all of the time when I, I really didn't have to, and it was affecting my relationship. But I think I also might've kept working because I didn't want to deal with the issues in my relationship or deal with any other issues. And so it's like, if you feel this compulsive need to always be working and you can't sit still that's another sign as well, because maybe you're not ready to face those emotions or you don't want to, or you feel like, well, look, I'm being productive. I don't have this. I'm being productive. Like I'm still producing. I'm still you know, a high member of society. And I think especially like me and you, it sounds like if you're a high functioning person that has depression and anxiety, it can be very confusing because you're just convincing yourself, but look, I, I still have my job and I still have done all this stuff. And like, look, I'm, I'm fine. And it's like, okay, you're just high functioning, but you're miserable and you're just using work as a way to not deal with everything else. And the minute you stop working is when the breakdown is going to come. Yes. I think that's very well put. And again, I think that can be really illuminating for people who have this perception that depression is, oh, you can't get out of bed. You've lost your job and you can't feed yourself. I don't know. And, And it can be that, but it can also be this like workaholic, anxious, constantly on the move, constantly needing to prove how busy you are in order to sort of prove your worth as a human being. And if you can't slow down and sit and be okay, that's a sign. Yeah. I think that's so important, you know, to recognize that with anxiety and depression, there is a range of feelings and behaviors. And it's not just this like, one size fits all diagnosis of like, 
I'm so anxious and scared. I can't do anything. I can't get out of bed. Of course. Yes. That's part of the diagnosis as part of it, but there's also different levels and different gradients and narratives that come along with that. I think it's important that we recognize all of that so that everyone can get help, whether they're dealing with the more quote traditional kind of diagnoses or not. So last question, whether people are interested in fire, which is financial independence, retire early or not, what are some ways that people can use their financial well-being to support their mental well-being? So I think one of the obvious things is you can pay for therapy, you can pay for medication, and you can pay for other wellness activities that work well for you. So Melanie, you've discovered boxing. I am a big practitioner of yoga. And so if you need to pay for a gym membership, if you need to pay for yoga classes, this can be a wonderful attribute to your mental health. So it's sort of like therapy, medication, and these other things can be very helpful. So buying and preparing healthy foods, you know, we really try to eat good foods. That makes a big difference. I try to exercise as much as I can. That makes a big difference. So putting money on in these areas where you know you're going to see a lot of benefit and you're going to feel better. And I think the other thing too is having the freedom and the time to take care of yourself. So being able to work fewer hours or being able to have a therapy appointment over a lunch break or finding a way to work therapy into your schedule if you're a working parent. You know, I think you can sort of leverage some of your financial stability into creating a better environment for yourself mentally. I love that. Yeah, I think it's so great when you can just kind of throw money at the problem. I love doing that. You know, now that I've been debt free for a while, it's been so great to just throw money at my problems. (laughs) Like when I was paying off debt, I couldn't necessarily do that. And I think that's another kind of reason why it's so important to get out of debt because when you're paying off debt, that's like the immediate fire that needs to be put out every month. (laughs) And, you know, since becoming debt free, it's like, wow, I'm just going to throw money at this problem. And it's so great. And that's why I think getting your finances together can support your mental health in ways that we can see both obviously and more implicitly as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, this was such a great conversation. I'm so glad that we could share your story on the podcast and thank you so much for your bravery and all of your tips. I know our audience will love it. If they want to connect with you, where can people find you? So I'm at frugalwoods.com and then you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at frugalwoods. It's very consistent. So you just, just <laughs> Google frugalwoods. <laughs> just Google frugalwoods and they can buy your book where? So you can buy the book anywhere that books are sold, bricks and mortar bookstores, online. You got all the options. Love it. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you again. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review. If you want to suggest a topic or simply say hello, you can reach me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can check out the rest of our content at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.